Hello my fellow divers and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host Lexi, thank you so much for listening and now watching. I finally decided to start doing YouTube and just doing videos to add another layer to my podcast. I really wanted to do video because I wanted to be able to appeal to more audiences. I know some people prefer to watch while some people prefer to listen. I personally prefer to do both and you can do that too, but I just wanted to make it so that anybody could enjoy my podcast in the way that they want to. I'm so happy if you're listening and watching. Thank you for being with me throughout this journey, watching me get to the next step and the next level. I really appreciate everybody's support. People make really nice comments. They say really nice things and I appreciate it. And that's honestly what keeps me going is just wanting to create more content for people that they enjoy and doing it in a respectful, sensitive manner where it pertains to the victims. So today we are going to be talking about the case of Mia Marcano who was a Florida college student and she lost her life. This case really spoke to me because it could happen to anybody. And I know that people say that a lot when it comes to true crime, but there's just something about this case that makes my skin crawl. Mia really did take the proper precautions to make sure that she was safe and yet she was still taken advantage of. And it just breaks my heart to know that she did what she could, but ultimately she was unsuccessful. I wanna make this point at the beginning of my video because I know sometimes people may not stay till the end or they won't watch the whole thing and that's fine, that's fine. I'm not gonna take it personally, but I really wanna let you guys know about this lock that I own as well. Now, wanna make it clear, this is not a sponsorship. I'm not getting paid to say this at all. I really am a user of this product I feel like it would be beneficial in certain situations similar to Mia's. And it's actually a door jam. And what you do is you put it in your door so that way even somebody with a key cannot access your apartment or home. This is a really great thing for females who live alone or with a roommate to own. And I honestly think that it can really save lives. Perfect for dorms. It's perfect for traveling. It's perfect even inside the home. Maybe you have a child and you don't want them to, you know, open the door and go downstairs to the basement. You can use it in your home. It's V32815. I love these. You're going to receive a set of I actually had an incident in an apartment building that I lived in where somebody got a hold of the master key and there were people squatting on the floor beneath me. And when I heard about that, I was terrified. So, me and my friend instantly went out and bought this lock and it made us feel so much safer. I'm going to link it in the episode description. It's on Amazon. I think it's about $17, $18. Well, well worth it. And it works very well. Again, not a sponsorship. I really feel like it is beneficial and something that anybody can benefit from having. But with that, let's get right into Mia's case. Mia Marcano was born on April 26, 2002 in Pembroke Pines, Florida. Her mother's name was Ema Scarbriel and her father's name was Marlon Marcano Sr. And she had a brother named Marlon Marcano Jr. Mia's parents did end up splitting and her father later remarried. Mia was described as being smart, loving, funny, and she was very big on family. She was only 5'2", but don't let her short stature fool you. She was a firecracker. She was not easily influenced. She was strong-willed. She didn't let anybody get over on her. She was very, very smart. 
Mia attended Flanagan High School and upon graduating, she decided to move to Orlando, Florida, which was about three hours from where she was from in Pembroke Pines. And she attended Valencia College where she studied sports medicine. She moved into the Arden Villas apartment complex and she got a job working in the leasing office. So Mia was doing pretty well for herself. She was going to school, she had a job, she was living on her own, just doing grown woman things. And things were just overall going really well for her until September 24th. 2021. Mia was getting a little homesick so she decided she wanted to go back home and visit her family. She was set to fly home to the Fort Lauderdale airport. Now Fort Lauderdale was actually 25 minutes from where she lived in Pembroke Pines so she was gonna fly to that airport and her grandmother was supposed to pick her up but Mia wasn't there. She never showed up. She actually missed the flight altogether. Family members were starting to get pretty concerned because nobody had heard from her in a while and they were like, where's Mia? What's going on? So her mother, Ema, who was actually living in the Virgin Islands at the time, decided to contact the Orange County Sheriff's Department to let them know that her daughter hadn't been heard from since 5 p.m. and Her flight was set for between 7 and 8 p.m. Ema actually told them that she had one of Mia's friends come by and check on her apartment, but nobody answered. Around 10 p.m., Deputy Samir Paulino responded to Mia's apartment to perform a welfare check, and he knocked three times, but nobody answered. And it was while he was there that Mia's roommate actually returned home from work, and she said, you know, what's going on? Is everything okay? And Deputy Paulino had to tell her roommate that Mia hadn't been heard from in a few hours. He asked her when was the last time she spoke to Mia, to which she replied, oh, I spoke to her earlier that day. I thought she was supposed to be going home, you know, what's going on. And it was at this point that Mia's roommate let Deputy Paulino inside and they went straight to Mia's room and her door was locked. Now this was said to be normal according to her roommate. Mia always locked her door before she left her home and this was something that she did on a consistent basis. So Deputy Paulino decided to go around the back of the apartment building to Mia's back window to see if he could get in from there or see anything through the window at all that looked out of place. He went to her window and he opened it and he looked inside. He decided to go back inside the apartment and tell Mia's roommate that he actually was able to open her window. Now at this point, Mia's roommate, whose name has not been released to the public, was actually on the phone with Mia's brother and mother. I'm assuming it was some sort of merged three-way phone call. Mia was living in the Virgin Islands at the time. Mia's brother, Marlon Jr., was living in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Pembroke Pines area. And it was at this point that Mia's brother, he heard the deputy say that Mia's window opened all the way and was unlocked. And he said, that's strange because our dad actually just installed locks on Mia's window. And her window was only supposed to be able to open just a few inches. So how was the deputy able to get it all the way open? Somehow these window locks had been removed and they had to be removed by a screwdriver who would remove them? Mia's mother really wanted her roommate to be able to go inside the room and see if she could find anything that looked out of the ordinary. The deputy agreed. He allowed her to climb through the window into Mia's room. But when she got inside, some things to her definitely looked off. First of all, there was a tiny bookshelf underneath Mia's bedroom doorknob, almost like whoever did this didn't want somebody to be able to enter from the outside. So this was definitely very weird and just didn't look right at all. Mia's bed was also unmade, which wasn't like her. She always left things just so. They also found a few pieces of Mia's jewelry on the floor, a necklace and a bracelet, and they were broken. They also found Mia's luggage still in her room and it was a book bag full of her clothes that appeared to be what she was going to take when she went home, but it was still there. 
Probably the most worrying piece of evidence of all was a dried red stain on Mia's pillowcase that looked like blood. Mia was listed as a missing person because there were things found in her room that just weren't right. And her description was released to the public and people were asked to be on the lookout for her. Because at this point, things were starting to look very suspicious. Around 12.30 a.m., so now we're entering the early, early morning hours of Saturday, September 25th, the day after Mia went missing. A security guard who worked in the Arden Villas apartments where she lived, named Jacoby Coleman, decided to call the Orange County Sheriff's Department to let them know that they had found a fingerprint on Mia's window and used duct tape to get it off. And they wanted a deputy to come out there and collect it as evidence. So Deputy Paulino returned to Mia's apartment and collected this evidence. But this wasn't the last time that Deputy Paulino went back to Mia's apartment that day. At 3.52 a.m., Mia's father, Marlon Marcano Sr., called the Orange County Sheriff's Department to let them know that he, along with Mia's entire family, decided to go and search Mia's apartment. And they found some things that were really interesting. And they wanted a deputy to come out there and search with them and see what they had found. Now, by this point, I definitely feel like Mia's apartment should have been sectioned off as a crime scene. The fact that her family had to go and look for things because law enforcement just wasn't there is a bit off to me. What were they doing? She was a missing person. There was very significant evidence, in my opinion, that was found at the scene, but yet no one had collected it. It wasn't being sectioned off or processed. Now, I want to give a side note about the point that I just made. Deputy Paulino, along with his supervisor, were actually suspended in 2022 after investigations revealed that they mishandled the case very early on. They weren't collecting pieces of evidence fast enough and they weren't turning it over fast enough to be processed. And they lost a lot of time in what could have been used to find Mia. This definitely made it harder to solve the case in the first place. A little before 5 p.m., Deputy Paulino returned to Mia's apartment where he was met with her family and they were searching. They said that the security guard, Jacoby Coleman, who had gotten that piece of duct tape to lift the fingerprint off of Mia's window, they had gotten rubber gloves from him in order to search Mia's apartment without contaminating the evidence. These were some of the things that they found and I'm gonna read it from my notes here just to make sure I don't forget anything. They found a yellow box cutter under a blue throw rug next to Mia's bed and there was no blood on it. They found two iPhones, which weren't her current phones, an Apple tablet, an Apple watch, and an Apple laptop. They also noticed that her bed frame had been moved slightly. So you know how when you have your bed on a carpet or a rug and if it's moved a little bit, you can tell because of the indentation in the carpet. That's what Mia's family noticed and they thought this was a bit odd and worth noting. Mia's brother actually had her laptop password and he was able to get inside of her laptop and see if he could find anything significant, but he didn't. After Mia's family let Deputy Paulino know what they had found, they decided that it was best that they met up with the security guard, Jacoby Coleman, to talk to him a little bit. Now, Jacoby decided to pull Deputy Paulino aside and speak to him privately one-on-one. -on -one. And it was at this point that he told him that Mia's family had actually confronted a man outside who was still in the parking lot there. His name was 27-year-old Armando Caballero. He was a maintenance worker at the Arden Villas Apartments. So let's jump back to before Deputy Paulino arrived and it was just Mia's family there searching her apartment. One of her family members noticed a man pull up outside in a silver Ford Fusion. Now this was kind of odd because it was very early in the morning. It was between four and 5 a.m. And it was so early, it was still dark outside. But this Ford Fusion pulled up with their lights off. 
which looked very odd to Mia's family. The family member that noticed him actually made eye contact with him. It seemed like he got kind of freaked out about this and he immediately put his car in reverse and actually backed into another car. Now this is according to Mia's family member. I don't think this has been verified. After he supposedly hit this car, he decided to just get out and stand there. It was at this point that he introduced himself, they talked to him and they immediately recognized his name because Mia's friends had told them that there was a maintenance man named Armando Caballero who was really into Mia, but she was not into him. I'm gonna get into that part a little bit later. So they start questioning Armando, asking him why he was there in the first place, what he was doing there so early in the morning. And he said that his coworkers asked him to go to the apartment building and check to see what was going on with Mia's case. They were all pretty concerned about her. Him and Mia were coworkers because he was maintenance there and Mia was working in the leasing office. So they knew each other, but Mia's family was definitely suspicious of him. They felt like he wasn't telling the whole truth. And they actually looked in his car while they were standing there talking to him and they found some things that looked pretty interesting. They found a cell phone case on the floor a screwdriver inside of a bag, and probably the most damning piece of evidence of all was a blanket that Mia's aunt Simone actually recognized as a blanket that she had gifted Mia. They start to pressure Armando a little bit more and they just weren't believing anything he was saying. And at some point, according to the family, Armando started recording them while they were questioning him. And this just rubbed them the wrong way, so they decided to call 911. Deputy Paulino arrived back out there to collect evidence. So now let's jump back to when he arrived and met up with the family. Deputy Paulino decided that he wanted to go outside and speak to Armando, who was still there, just sitting in his car. When he went outside to talk to him, the family, along with security guard Coleman, joined him. He's talking to Armando, asking him what's going on, why he's there. Armando actually revealed that he was on the phone with a woman named Tatiana Shanks, who also worked at the Ardenville's apartments. She worked in the leasing office with Mia and she knew her fairly well. Deputy Paulino is there questioning Armando about what he knows about Mia's disappearance, when the last time he saw her was or spoke to her. And he said that he spoke to Mia earlier that day before she went missing. And he saw her around 3 p.m. in the clubhouse of the apartment building. So it was pretty clear that he said that, yeah, I did see her that day. You know, we were working together, but I haven't seen her or heard from her since. Deputy Paulino asks Armando if he can put the phone on speaker so he can speak to Tatiana, who's on the other line. She spoke to her that day. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary. And the last time she spoke to her was over text around 5 p.m. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. Their phone call ends and Deputy Paulino is just speaking to Armando, asking him questions. And it was at this point that me Mia's aunt Simone went in on Armando and she just begins confronting him with everything she believes she knows about him, including the fact that he had been sending Mia obsessive text messages. All right now. As of right now, you have you sent tomorrow, obsessive texts to Mia. We have all seen the texts. You talked about giving her your life savings. You cash out her money and you claim who that you weren't in who touch. Told her gave it's her on life Never As a matter of fact, we're gonna get a police report to pull your phone records if that's the case. Um, There's evidence of, of obsession of something you're fascinated with. It's me. not only from my side, so don't try to make this. No one like I'm no one's saying that. It takes she's so not here to defend herself right obviously now. Obviously, so she's talk missing. To you. So we're talking to and you, I, been going back and forth on text. That, that is your family. Right. 
But until we figure out what's going on, just don't beat me up. Nobody ain't beating you up. If I'm guilty, why well, you, would you I put yourself here? in the middle right here. You brought yourself over here. Because we're concerned. You're concerned. Why weren't you concerned hours ago? I just found out. All right, cool. No problem. So in the first so few how did, hours, how did Tati find out? We didn't think it was serious. I don't even know how Tati found oh, out. Somebody's missing me. and you don't think it's serious. Someone maybe they're hanging out. Uh, they got this place right here. They go downtown. I don't know. Maybe her phone's off. I don't know what she She would use somebody's phone and call her dad I could, or her grandmother, somebody. She, she was supposed to show up for a flight and didn't maybe show maybe up. Not not Remember what I said earlier? Mia's friends were showing her family all of these things and messages that Armando had been sending her. When they heard Mia went missing, he was the first person that everybody looked at. Now, I don't think her family knew a whole lot about this guy until Mia went missing, which kind of tells us something. Mia's aunt Simone was confronting him, saying that you have an obsession with Mia. You were sending her all these long messages. He was even sending her money. And he was just overall way too into her. That feeling was not mutual on Mia's side. It was very one-sided, according to her family. They also said that Armando sent Mia messages saying that he wanted to give her his life savings, which he adamantly denied. He said that he only sent Mia money because a family member needed. It, which they all knew wasn't true. Mia's family was very close. If somebody needed money, they would have made sure they got it from someone. They wouldn't have expected that from Mia. Now, when asked about why he was sending her these long obsessive text messages, he denied them. And he said he and Mia's relationship in the beginning was very mutual. It was flirtatious. They used to talk and hang out, but it never went any further than that. They were just friends. So where were these obsessive text messages coming from that weren't being reciprocated? He was pretty much denying that he sent Mia these text messages, even though her family said that they saw them. Then they continued to question him about why he was there in the first place, just sitting in his car around five in the morning. And he once again reiterated that his coworkers wanted him to come by and check to see how things were going because they were all concerned about Mia. But they still weren't buying it. They definitely felt like Armando was suspicious and they just didn't trust him at all. And it was at this point that one of Mia's family members noticed that Armando had some injuries. They said that his right cheekbone was swollen and his right hand was swollen as well. But he said that his right cheekbone wasn't swollen and that that was just his face, okay? And that his right hand was injured at work and that's where he got the injury from. But once again, family still did not trust him at all. Deputy Paulino asked if they could have a look around certain areas within the apartment building that Armando had access to because he worked in maintenance. So of course he had a master key and he agreed to allow them to search along with security guard Coleman. And when they didn't find anything, they said Armando was free to go. They didn't have any reason to hold him there. But Mia's family was not letting up. They did not believe that Armando wasn't involved because of the information that they had about him. So they decided to follow him to his apartment. And around 8.40 a.m., Armando returns home and Mia's family is right behind him, staring at his apartment from their car across the street, just watching if they can see anything out of the ordinary. And they did. He has gloves. He has gloves. He has gloves in his hands. He has gloves. Gloves and what else? A blank. The blanket. Oh my god, that is my blanket. Oh my god, oh my god. 
they saw Armando in blue medical gloves carrying a few items from his car. One of those being the blanket that Mia's aunt Simone recognized as something she had given her. They also saw him remove a dark colored book bag, the one believed to have been holding the screwdriver that they saw in his car earlier. They definitely just got bad vibes from what they were seeing. So they decided to call 911 yet again to see if they could have somebody come out there and verify what they were seeing. A little before 9am an officer arrived on the scene but by this point Mia's family had already confronted Armando and his roommate Kenny Torres. Mia's family did not play. They really were like very invested as to be expected. They were really taking matters into their own hands but Law enforcement said there really wasn't much they could do. It's kind of out of their jurisdiction. Where Mia lived and where Armando lived were different. Armando didn't live at the Arden Villas apartments. There wasn't really much they could do. They couldn't just forcefully go search Armando's apartment. So Mia's dad actually just went up and asked him, can we search your apartment? Can we go inside? And Armando agreed. He said, sure, go ahead. So they went inside and searched, but they didn't find anything. Now that in itself is in my opinion, sketchy. How can they not find the items that they very clearly just watched Armando carry inside? He clearly hid them so they couldn't find them, which is why are you hiding things? Why are you bringing those things inside wearing medical gloves or just gloves period? So by this point, Mia's family thought it was pretty odd, but there wasn't anything law enforcement could do. They couldn't find the items. They couldn't find the items. They told Mia's family if they had any more concerns to call the Orange County Sheriff's Department and they also said to not return to Armando's apartment again. Police decided to go back to Mia's apartment building, the Arden Villas apartments, and they wanted to see if they could collect more evidence and talk to some witnesses and figure out what was going on. And it was at this point, speaking to the manager of the leasing office, that they found out Armando actually responded to a maintenance work order in Mia's apartment the Tuesday before she went missing. So Mia went missing on a Friday, and this work order was fulfilled on a Tuesday. There was a water leak in Mia's building of the common room of her building that somehow entered Mia's apartment. So. Sounds like it was pretty bad. Police decided to look for surveillance footage as well to see if they could find anything of Mia the day she went missing to help them paint a timeline. They found a video of Mia leaving the leasing office around 5 p.m. And it was clear that this was consistent with the time she got off work and the last time she was heard from or seen again. Mia was on her phone. She was wearing a pink purse and she was holding a yellow rose. Now Mia's family had actually found this yellow rose in her trash can and they theorized that Armando gave it to her and she didn't want it. But they later on found out that every female employee in the leasing office received a yellow rose from a person that was completely unrelated to the case. So this evidence wasn't deemed significant by law enforcement. The property manager also told police officers that they actually used a key fob data system in order to access apartment buildings. So if you don't know what a key fob is, it's an electronic key. It's about this big. I honestly think I still have the one. Actually, no, I don't. I had to return it. And it's programmed to a unique door. It uses an electronic system to unlock a door. My key fob would work for my door, whereas your key fob would work for your door. But if you work in the building, you have a master key fob, meaning you can access any apartment in 
the complex, which is a big responsibility. Police decided, is there any way we can get this data so we can see who entered Mia's apartment the day she went missing? The property manager agreed. They downloaded this data and they gave it over to law enforcement where they reviewed it. But the property manager noticed something a bit off when they were looking at the data for Mia's apartment. They noticed that the on-call maintenance key fob had entered her room multiple times that day, which was not supposed to be the case because Mia didn't have any active work orders out. They had all been completed as of that Tuesday. She had nothing in place, so why was the maintenance guy in her room? The first time the maintenance key accessed Mia's apartment was around 2.15 p.m. and the data showed them unlocking the door before locking it from the outside five minutes later. They were in there for about five minutes. No one knows what they were doing in there or why they were in there in the first place. The maintenance key fob returned around 4.34 p.m. and locked the door from the inside just a minute later. Why was maintenance entering Mia's apartment and locking the door behind them as if that was their place? At 5.02 p.m., the deadbolt was unlocked from the inside before being locked again just within the same minute. At 5.06 p.m., Mia's key fob was recorded unlocking her door from the outside and entering, but her deadbolt locked six minutes after she entered. Now, I want to explain why this sounds odd to me. Mia seems like the kind of person who would lock her door as soon as she entered. So the fact that it didn't lock for another six minutes makes me feel like she saw something that was off or maybe didn't want to lock her door. Now at this point, the maintenance key fob has not been seen leaving Mia's apartment. So are they just in there together? What's going on? It wasn't seen leaving her apartment or recorded leaving her apartment ever again. So was, it was this person still in there? What were they doing? At 7.16 p.m., Mia's key fob is seen accessing her door from the outside and it didn't lock or unlock it. According to the data, it was just stuck inside and taken back out. Now, let me explain why this is odd and I want you guys to really pay attention here. How did Mia's key get on the outside of her apartment building when her door was not seen ever being opened or closed again after she entered the first time around five? Almost two hours later, her door is being accessed from the outside. How did her key get on the outside if her door was never opened? And where the hell is the maintenance key? The maintenance key was never seen on the data again. So it just doesn't make any sense. Now remember, Mia's window locks were gone. They had been uninstalled. So how did this person, whoever was here, how did they get out of Mia's apartment without opening or closing her door again? Whoever did this must have exited Mia's apartment through her window. The only way they could be removed was by a screwdriver. Mia's family saw a screwdriver in a bag in Armando's car. So I'm sure you guys have put together by now that Armando was in possession of that maintenance key. He was working on call that night for maintenance. He had to have been the person who had the key, but he had no reason to be in Mia's apartment. She had no active work orders open. So what was he doing in there? When police saw this evidence, they definitely got a little bit worried. It was clear that somebody had been in Mia's apartment when they did not need to be and they weren't supposed to have access to it. Police decided to finally section Mia's apartment off and deem it a crime scene, which they honestly should have done a long time ago. And they began to process it for evidence to see if there was something more significant that they could find. All the evidence that I listed earlier, they've already collected by this point and have taken in, but there were a few other things that they noticed in Mia's apartment. 
they noticed a palm print on Mia's window and they decided to take it in as evidence. They also swabbed the DNA surrounding Mia's window to see if there was something significant that they could find and bring in because definitely seemed like whoever took Mia's key fob out of her apartment did so by using the window to exit. They also took the DNA of her broken jewelry as well as the blood stain that was found on her pillowcase. A few people have been in Mia's apartment and room by this point because they were trying to collect evidence, including 11 family members, the security guard, as well as Mia's roommate. Law enforcement wanted to collect their DNA, so that way if they found it, they would most likely know that they weren't involved and they wanted to be able to rule it out against any other DNA that was found in Mia's apartment and on the evidence that they had collected. The canine unit was also called in and they began searching the wooded area behind Mia's apartment building, but they didn't find anything significant. While police were doing this, there was another maintenance worker on staff at the time named Lemuel Arroyo. Police said that they needed to be able to access every maintenance area on the property. And he fully agreed. He said, of course, here you go. But they didn't find anything significant in any of these maintenance areas. Police decided to interview some of Mia's family members and coworkers to see if they could paint a picture of who may have done this to her. I think by this point, they're kind of starting to get the vibe that Armando was definitely involved, but they just wanted more concrete proof to show why. I think they wanted to more so prove a motive. The first person that was interviewed was Mia's brother, Marlon Marcano Jr. And he actually worked in the area that Mia lived in. And whenever he would work in Orlando, he would get a hotel five minutes from Mia's apartment and they would see each other throughout the week. She would cook him dinner or they would just go out to dinner. And the night before Mia went missing, which was also the night before he left Orlando, he took Mia out to dinner. And it was there that Mia told him that there was a guy at her work that liked her a lot. So much so that he sent her $700 via Cash App just for being beautiful. Although she was beautiful, it was definitely creepy and she did not want this money at all. I want to make a note about receiving money from men that have an attraction to you that you do not reciprocate. And Mia really handled this the correct way. She would continue to send Armando the money back because she didn't want to accept anything from him and give him the wrong idea. Now, I understand that nowadays we oftentimes glamorize men sending us money and hey there's nothing wrong with that if you like him and that's just what you guys do no judgment at all but if you don't like the guy as much as he likes you and it starts to get to the line of it's pretty creepy, pretty obsessive, it's probably best to not accept any gifts from them. Because like I said, this can give them the wrong idea. Mia continued to say no over and over and over again, and it still didn't work. So the day came for Marlon Jr. to return home after being in Orlando, hanging out with Mia and working. He got off work around 1.30 p.m. Mia asked him if he could wait until she got off at 5 p.m. so they could ride home together. Up to this point, Mia did not have a flight booked home. Definitely seems like she went home kind of on a whim and just decided to last minute because she was just feeling homesick. But Marlon Jr. said that he couldn't wait that long and he had to get home soon. He offered to buy her a plane ticket or a bus ticket in order to get her home that night. But she said it was fine, she would figure it out, and she said that she might even stay. And Mia had actually made plans to go out with her friends that night before she knew that she was going home. Her dad just decided to book her a plane ticket, and she was like, okay, I'm gonna go home instead. Mia was supposed to arrive at the airport around 11 p.m. And remember I said earlier, her grandmother went to pick her up, but she wasn't there. And it was at this point that family members were trying to get a hold of Mia, and they realized that she was missing. Nobody had seen or heard from her 
in hours. The next interview conducted was for one of Mia's co-workers, a girl named Jasmine. She was actually in a group chat with Mia and Tatiana Shanks, the girl from earlier that was on the phone with Armando, who also worked at the leasing office. And she said that Armando was very, very into Mia, but that Mia was not into him at all. Mia would send them screenshots of the very long and emotional messages that Armando would send her. They made her really uncomfortable. She didn't know how to respond. So she she would just say, I'm not interested. But this didn't stop him from trying to pursue her. Jasmine thought it was really weird that Armando was sending Mia these messages because she didn't know them to be romantically involved at all. She didn't know where all this emotion from Armando was coming from when he and Mia never had anything. Jasmine also referenced that maintenance work order that Armando fulfilled for Mia on Tuesday, three days before she went missing. According to Jasmine, Mia told her and Tatiana in the group chat that Armando had said that he was over her, but he wished that they had had some sort of encounter before he had been over her, which is just really creepy. Mia was not into it at all. And Jasmine was very surprised to hear that Armando had taken it to that level. She had never known of him to say anything like that to Mia before. So it started to reach a level that Mia was already very uncomfortable with, but it was just getting worse. The week she went missing. According to Jasmine, Mia had told her that Armando said to her while he was still in her apartment to come get something that he had left behind. I'm sure he probably left it behind on purpose just so he could have a reason to come back and talk to her. He had said something along the lines of, I finally cleared my mind enough to follow you back on Instagram. Um, okay, why was Mia supposed to care that you were following her in the first place? Well, according to Jasmine, Mia would say that Armando would get upset with her when she didn't text him back before being active on social media. I get that that's a thing people get upset about, but that's if you're talking to somebody mutually. Armando was not talking to Mia mutually. It was very, very one-sided. He didn't get that. He wasn't understanding that. He was just continuing to pursue her. Police also interviewed Tatiana, the other girl in the group chat that was on the phone with Armando. And her story was pretty much the same, but it was a little different. She said that in the beginning, when Mia and Armando first met, Mia actually did kind of have a little thing for him and it was pretty flirtatious. This was also what Armando had said to police when he was first questioned. According to Tatiana, Mia thought that Armando was cute and they texted a little bit in the beginning when they first met and that Armando had even been to Mia's apartment just as a casual visit. But according to Mia, nothing happened with them at all. He simply just visited. But Mia could tell that Armando wanted more than than she did. So she decided to pull away. And it was when she pulled away that Armando began to be a little bit hurt and start to pursue her more. Now, this was all according to Tatiana. She said that Mia was attracted to him in the beginning, whereas Jasmine said that this wasn't the case. Tatiana actually had the screenshots of the messages that Armando sent to Mia because Mia had sent them to their group chat. This was taken in as evidence. Police also interviewed Armando's roommate, Kenny Torres, and he said that Armando was home the entire night of Friday, September 24th, the night Mia went missing. After he returned home from work, he never left back out again. Now at this point, one thing that was odd to law enforcement was the fact that they couldn't find Armando. He hadn't been heard from or seen since Deputy Paulino spoke to him in the parking lot along with Mia's family. They decided to obtain a search warrant to track Armando and Mia's phones to find where Armando was and see if Mia was with him. They also obtained a search warrant for his apartment and what they found inside was pretty interesting. It included a black iPhone, a ring of keys with a fob on it that said on call, a North Face backpack with a screwdriver inside, an 
Naruto shower curtain from the bathroom closet, two yellow metal chains, and two black Nike slides. Now the ring of keys was very significant because these are said to be the keys that were used to enter Mia's apartment the day she went missing, and Armando was still in possession of them. Police also decided to use cell tower data to see if they could find any movement from Mia or Armando's phones the day of her disappearance. And they found that Mia's phone actually pinged around 2 p.m. on September 26th across the street from her apartment building. Now what was interesting about this was across the street was actually a hotel that Mia's family was staying at while they were searching for her and doing what they could to help the investigation. The law enforcement questioned Mia's family and asked them if they had her phone, to which they replied, no, we don't. But eventually Mia's father came forward and said that although they didn't have her phone, they did get another phone and used a SIM card and activated Mia's cell phone number on it. So that way they could see if they could get inside her messages and figure out what happened to her. This definitely threw law enforcement off. For a second, they thought that this was Mia's actual phone and that she was across the street with her family or the family was somehow in possession of her phone. But eventually this was later cleared up. By this point, things were starting to look pretty grim given the evidence and the fact that Mia still hadn't been found. But they couldn't prove exactly what happened to her at this point. They still couldn't find her, but they knew that something was off. What they did know for sure was that Armando definitely entered Mia's apartment unlawfully and for no reason, using the key fob for maintenance that was given to him by his apartment building. They decided to issue a warrant for his arrest, charging him with burglary. But once again, nobody could find him. His social media had been inactive. Nobody in his family had heard from him or his friends. No one knew where Armando was. On September 27th, 2021, law enforcement went back to Mia's apartment building to see if they could find more surveillance footage from the day she went missing. And what they found was pretty interesting. They saw Armando's silver Ford Fusion driving away from an area that was near Mia's apartment a little before 6 p.m. Cell phone data also shows that Armando did in fact go straight home after leaving the apartment complex around 6 p.m., but he did not stay home like his roommate said he did. He returned to the Ardenville's apartments around 7 p.m. to respond to an emergency maintenance request in Mia's apartment building. It wasn't actually Mia's apartment, it was just an apartment in the same building as her. According to this emergency maintenance request, there was a broken ACU unit in one of the apartments. According to the manager of the leasing office, Armando actually called them and asked that they could override the gate so that they could leave it open. I'm assuming it was either not working properly or he had some things that he wanted to carry in and out and he needed the gate to be left open while he responded to this maintenance request. But Armando didn't even enter with his car through these gates. He had parked his car at a nearby Panera Bread and he entered the apartment complex through a hole in a fence so sketchy. He was then seen on surveillance driving a golf cart around the apartment building. And on one of these frames, he was seen leaving an area near Mia's apartment. I'm assuming he was responding to this maintenance call or trying to look like he was responding to this maintenance call, but this was also around the time that Mia's key fob was recorded accessing her door from the outside, like I mentioned earlier. Mia was outside the same time Armando was on the golf cart, just wasn't adding up. Cell phone data showed him leaving the apartment complex around 7 
7.28 p.m. Investigators decided to use the company system to figure out which apartment Armando has supposedly responded to. And when they went to this apartment, two girls were living there, but they said that they never requested maintenance. Their AC unit was fine. No maintenance man showed up and they never called anybody. Police decided to check their phones and use their phone numbers to see if they matched the number that had called Armando that night requesting the maintenance request, but neither of their numbers matched this one. Eventually, police found out that Armando created a fake number and it didn't belong to anybody. So going back to when Armando left the apartment complex, as I said, cell phone data showed him leaving around 7.28 p.m. He returned to his car that was parked at the Panera Bread and he left. He got a few license plate hits and cell phone pings around town that night, one including the Lake Monroe boat ramp in Sanford, Florida. According to people who knew Armando, his family and his friends, he didn't know anybody in this area and had no reason to be there, yet he spent a decent amount of time over there. On September 27th at 10.34 a.m., police received a 911 call from the Camden Club Apartments that somebody was found in one of their maintenance sheds. Police arrived just five minutes later where they found the body of 27-year-old Armando Caballero. He had something tied around his neck and his head. He appeared to have taken his own life. He didn't live in this apartment complex. He actually used to work there as a maintenance man, but it's unsure how long he had been there or why he decided to do this there in the first place. As investigators examined his body, they noticed two wounds on his pinky finger that looked like teeth marks, almost like somebody was trying to fend him off during an attack. These wounds were very prevalent. They decided to search his vehicle and they found a broken blue phone case similar to the one that the family had found when they first looked at his car, used duct tape with long pieces of hair inside under the front passenger seat a container of Clorox wipes on the floor, as well as the keys to the maintenance shed of the Arden Villa apartment. DNA from inside and outside the vehicle was collected to see if it matched Mia. And they also found that there was detergent in Armando's trunk and his trunk actually smelled of detergent. This adds an entirely new layer to this case. Armando, the main suspect, is now gone. He died with the answers as to what really happened to Mia. By this point, law enforcement knew that he had something to do with it and that he was involved. And the fact that he's gone now, they're not even able to ask him any questions, which is so frustrating. On October 1st, a vigil was held for Mia at the Arden Villas apartments to continue to raise awareness about her disappearance and keep hope alive that she would be found okay. But unfortunately, this wouldn't be the case. On October 2nd, 2021, around 10.45 in the morning, law enforcement decided to do a ground search of the Timber Scan Apartments. This was actually Armando's old apartment building that he used to live in, and he had spent about 20 minutes there the night Mia went missing. This was verified by cell tower data. Police had actually gone to these apartments before to question residents, but nobody had seen or heard of anything suspicious or unusual. But after they received more clear evidence and cell phone data of Armando being in a specific spot for an allotted period of time, they decided to do a more expansive search of this area. And it was during this search that they found that a piece of dirt had actually been disturbed. When they went over to investigate, they saw the decomposed body of a female. She was found in the embankment of a nearby lake. 
There was a red purse next to the body that looked like Mia's purse that she was wearing in the surveillance footage when she left her shift at the leasing office. Investigators opened the purse and found a wallet. Inside of the wallet, they found the license of 19-year-old Mia Marcano. The body contained the same jeans that Mia was wearing in the footage, as well as a necklace with her name on it. There was black duct tape found wrapped around her head, neck, wrists, and ankles. And this was the duct tape that looked very similar to the duct tape found in Armando's car. Her torso had the strap of a bathrobe wrapped around it. And the black hoodie she was wearing in the surveillance footage when she was last seen was wrapped around her neck. After DNA and dental record testing, law enforcement was able to positively identify the body as being that of 19-year-old Mia Marcano, and they had to notify her family that she had been found. Of course, this wasn't the outcome that anybody wanted. They couldn't believe that this is what happened. I'm not sure if Mia's family thought that she would still be alive or not, but once it was found that Armando had in fact taken his own life, it definitely seemed like he had done something horrible to Mia and he just didn't want to face the consequences of it. Having confirmation that Mia was gone was so hard for the family to come to terms with as you can imagine. This was something that no one wanted to happen and the fact that it did at her apartment where she lived is just so unsettling to think about and it was from a maintenance worker who had access to her apartment and it makes you wonder how could this have been prevented it's just terrifying the next day on october 3rd mia's autopsy was completed and it was confirmed that the manner of her death was ruled to be a homicide however they couldn't determine how this occurred and as far as i know they still haven't been able to determine how Mia was killed because her body was in such a state of decomposition, they weren't able to determine what really happened to her. Investigators then used Mia's DNA to test against all of the evidence that they had collected up to this point including evidence from her apartment, Armando's apartment, and Armando's car. And they found that the hair that was on the duct tape found in his car was hers. They also found that the blood on the pillowcase found in her apartment was a mixture of her and Armando's blood. This seemed to confirm that there was some sort of struggle that had happened between them that resulted in both of them being somehow injured. They also found Armando's DNA on Mia's shirt. Mia's funeral was held on October 14th at the Cooper City Church of God. The impact of the community and her name is not in vain. I miss you every day for the rest of my life. You couldn't be a good boy if you had to do what somebody did to Mia. You are not a good boy, your soul will burn in hell. Her casket was absolutely beautiful. It had portraits of her painted on there and on the front was a huge portrait of her and she looked beautiful in it. Her casket was royal blue because that was her favorite color. She felt like she was royalty. Her nickname was actually Princess and there was a crown on top of a pillow placed on top of her casket. The casket was honestly amazing. It was perfectly fit for a princess, the princess that she was. Hundreds of people came to Mia's funeral to pay their respects, rightfully so. This case rocked the community. People could not believe that this had happened to her. They were so shocked and so afraid that somebody could be caught in such a vulnerable position where they lived, in their apartment, where they're supposed to be safe. 
Because Armando is not here to answer for what he did to Mia, investigators were left to connect the dots themselves and figure out what really happened to her. This is what they think happened. They believe that Armando knew what time Mia got off work and he positioned himself to be in her apartment and lie in wait, just waiting for her to come home. And when she did, some sort of struggle ensued that resulted in both of them being injured. During the struggle, Armando ended up killing Mia. They believe that Mia was killed a little before 6 p.m. Armando put the tiny bookshelf that was found under Mia's doorknob there, so that way no one could enter her room. They believe that he then took Mia's body and took her outside through the window. He removed her window locks before the struggle ensued, so that way he could exit through her window and not through the front of her apartment where there were many more witnesses. And they believe the first time Armando entered her apartment that day, around 2.15, where he stayed for about five minutes, this is when he took her locks off of her window. Armando then placed Mia in the trunk that was parked in a nearby wooded area. And he drove to his apartment and stayed for about 30 minutes before going back to the Arden Villa's apartments. And it was there that he answered this maintenance call, this fake maintenance call, and made it seem like he had an alibi. This is when he was driving around in the golf cart, making it seem like he was responding to this maintenance call, and where he used Mia's key fob to make it look like she was still alive. After this, Armando went to the Timberscan apartments, which is where he left Mia's body. It really makes me so scared that this was able to happen so easily. Mia was just where she lived and somebody had access to her apartment and they were able to do this. And it's just scary to think about. In April of 2022, the mayor of Pembroke Pines, which was Mia's hometown, decided to name her birthday, April 26th, Mia Marcano Day to honor her memory. Mia's law was passed by the Florida legislature and it was said to limit staff access to apartment keys, require landlords to do national background checks for all employees and require that tenants be notified 24 hours before maintenance work inside their apartment. Mia's law would also disqualify violent job seekers. Mia's family decided to file a wrongful death suit against the Arden Villas apartments, as well as the company that operated and managed it. They felt like Mia was not being kept safe and that Armando shouldn't have even been able to work there in the first place and given so much access to these unsuspecting residents. And this was partly due to the fact that Armando actually had a criminal record. He had had a previous issue where he was charged with property damage and discharging a weapon on school property. He also had another issue with another woman who had turned down a date from him, so he decided to throw a weight through her bedroom window. We have the complainant step up. We have a single 88 to front window. Uh, we have a broken window. There's a, a weight that was thrown into the window. She doesn't know who. Um, I guess right now all we really have is criminal mission. So he had a history of being violent. If he was still given this job and he was still allowed to work and have access in other people's apartments. Now it's not sure if the Ardenville's apartments were aware of his record or not, but the point is they should have been. And if they were, why was he allowed to work there? Mia's family decided to start the Mia Marcano Foundation and it promotes apartment security measures, gives detailed information on Mia's law, as well as sells merchandise. There's a beautiful campaign video on there about why Mia's law is so important. And I've actually watched it. Go ahead and watch it. It's only four minutes long. I'm gonna link the website to Mia's foundation in the episode description. When you click on the link, it shows a very beautiful animation of a butterfly. And this was said to be the calling card for Mia. This is really the symbol 
of Mia, a royal blue butterfly. I'm gonna link Mia's TikTok below as well because I want you guys to get a feel for what she was like. She was drop dead gorgeous. You could tell she was very funny, very goofy, and she seemed like she loved to have fun. I've actually looked at some of the videos and she just seems like somebody I would hang out with, which just lets you know something like this can happen to literally anybody. Which is why I'm also gonna reiterate the point of linking the lock below that I also own that I feel could really promote safety. With that, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up today's episode. This is my first video. I did Mia's case on purpose as my first video because it really spoke to me. Being a young woman who is often deemed as more vulnerable in society and having to take more precautions to keep yourself safe, I really identified with this case. And I wanted to share her story in order to spread awareness because I feel like her case isn't talked about enough. And this is something that could happen so often. Thank you guys so much for listening if you're listening and watching if you're watching and I hope to see you in the water soon.